Welcome back to the Make Lemonade podcast, the show for creators by creators, where we hope to inspire other creators to earn money from their own lemonade stand. I'm one of your co-hosts, James, and I'm back here with JR Farr, co-founder of Lemon Squeezy. How are we doing, JR? Doing good, man. Doing good. Excited to talk to Brett today. Yeah, well, we've got an exciting episode because we've got Brett Williams, who is the founder of Design Joy, a one-man productized design service that is peak was making over 160k a month and people have been asking the question how does he do it and previously you you had to rely on some meta-analysis to find out now though we're going to hear straight from the horse's mouth so in this episode jr and i catch up with brett find out a little bit about the design joy story why he launched a course some of the other businesses he's built and whether or not he's going to buy a porsche how's it going guys Hey, hey, young Brett, how are you? Good. Nice to see you again, James and Jr. Pleasure to meet you. You too. It looks like we've got another golfer, though, James. He's got a bad birdie hat on. Mm, oh my! No, nope, they're just the most comfortable hats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Really? No. Uh, no, I bought another one a while back, and like I've just never gone with anything else. I'm like a big hat wearer, and I, I I'm yeah, very I very particular about them because I have kind of a big head. So, so, but you live in Arizona, so you're not. Aren't you a golfer? I'm a top golfer, if you want to call it that. But. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So a bit of background on you then, Brett. Talk us through some of your early projects you did. I know from Chanchi before, you had this Tumblr blog where you went absolutely crazy pumping out these inspirational quote cards where you sort of learn how to have such a high output, which has now helped you with Design Joy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's helped me. I mean, it's where I, it's where I started the whole design journey. I was in college and got in early on Tumblr, which you know, I don't know if people know about Tumblr or not nowadays, but it used to be a, a kind of a booming platform. That was like 2010, 2009, something like that. And yeah, it was kind of like one of the kind of the early on user, you know, builders of these like quote graphics that are so synonymous with the internet nowadays and that's where i learned photoshop that was where i got my start and cranked out like a hundred a day at the end of it when i sort of retired from social media it was like 60 70 thousand of them so that's crazy yeah like i dove into the deep end right away without knowing even how to use the tool to to being like cranking out an insane output because naturally the more you put out there the more exposure you got so i thought you know i skipped lunches and skipped class sometimes and just cranked out as many as I possibly could and got really fast at it. So that was where I kind of introduced, got introduced to design. And I guess, you know, I could translate it down to how, how I'm able to do what I do today. So when you were doing these, this Tumblr blog, did you make any money from it or was it just fun? I did. Yeah. For me as a college student, started out probably like 30 or 40,000 a year, which, you know, for a Tumblr blog was like, pretty darn good you know it was mostly yeah. ad adsense revenue and sponsored posts and stuff so i ended it with over a million followers so i was able to leverage that quite well but you know not as well as i could if i had that kind of following today but uh yeah sold t-shirts and stickers like stickers was the big thing ironically enough it was kind of random but stickers were or what i sold the most of so yeah i think it capped out at probably like sixty thousand by the end of it per year so not crazy but i mean pretty good again for for what i was doing Oh, and for a college student, that's a lot of money. 
It was. It, yeah, I was. I remember like going to my tax guy for the first time that year. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> like, I owe what? But let, let, let's keep going with this story. Let's keep going with what you did after this Tumblr blog. Why you had a million followers? Why are you not just carrying that on, Brett? Because you went and got a job after this, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. My wife kind of took over the blog, and then yeah, I, I went the normal path of getting into design roles at different agencies and different kinds of companies, and kind of. Stayed for six months, stayed for a year, hopped around and hopped around until I built DesignJoy. So it was a pretty like normal, normal journey in between. So did you go to school for design? No, I did not. I went to school for business and international business. I ironically enough, I had no freaking clue what I was going to do with it. But I went to school for that and uh, dropped out my senior year. Oh, why? I got a job offer in California. I was living in the Midwest. So I thought, shoot, what, 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 this is what I'm going to school for. So I dropped out my senior year. So and took that and that one thing led to another. And you, you say you hopped around from jobs six months here, a year there. Why were you hopping around? Better deals you could get for money? Were you a bad employee, Brett? No, I mean, no, I don't think so. There was a there's a reason for each one of them. I mean, the first one I took was just a way to get into Phoenix when I met my wife. So, and I started a couple of businesses along the way too. But like the first one, was, I just didn't fit the culture, and then jumped to another agency, and that agency went under. Jumped to this or that, oh, and then true. there's always a reason. And the last one, the company went bankrupt. So. You know, I don't know, maybe I have bad juju that I take with me places, but <laughs> but no, there was a there was a reason for each one of them. Yeah. But. What were the other side products? I don't know if I know these. What were the other side products you started before Design Joy? Any of them successful? Yeah, I mean I guess to someone's standards. I know that the biggest one that I did was actually when I was in college. No, it was post college. I'd already I'd taken the job that I that I got offered out of college. And because I had a big following on Tumblr, I created a tool called Babbler with a couple of co-founders that I also worked with at this, at this company and basically introduced instant chat to Tumblr. I think we gained like 30, 40,000 users within the first 30 minutes. It was huge. I mean, I had a big following, so it was really easy to do. And then eventually Yahoo bought Tumblr out and put chat in it themselves. So the company. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. Cranked. That's so crazy. Yeah. What's the little kid, Brett? Like, where does this all come from? Were you always kind of like this? Were you kind of like the, the leader in the playground? Like, just no. got an idea, guys, come over here, let's, you know? No, I mean, I was the quiet one. I was okay. a middle child, very quiet, not real good at school, not really good at sports. I like to be involved in things, but like, not, never really good at anything. I actually started in high school on MySpace, so oh, yeah. I actually started gaining a following there. That was my first big one. I think at the time it was, I don't know, it was somewhere in the low six figures that I had on there. And that's where I like got kind of obsessed with building audiences and building like a following. As anyone knows, that's built a following. I mean, you kind of only have to get to a certain point before it starts to compound naturally. Yeah. So I've been pretty decent at getting to that point and then letting things kind of take care of itself. Same, that's what happened to Tumblr and MySpace and so on and so forth. So yeah. no, it, and it's a mixture of it's a mixture of like timing, a little bit of luck, and a lot of hustle. Like with each of, of those platforms, I put a ton of time into them, much yes. more time than anybody else was putting into them, and so reap the results of that. So bit of a pattern here then with you building up audiences on platforms and then those platforms disappearing or being acquired or something happening that means that is now in your past. Now you've mm -hmm. done a lot of work over the past couple of years building your Twitter audience. So this seems like another wave of you building an audience as we've seen threats of Twitter changing beyond recognition to the point where the audience you've built there might also be at risk of disappearing. Have you mm -hmm. built an audience elsewhere? We, we've spoken on the first pod, me and JR did, yeah. about 
building a moat, building like an email list or a podcast or something where you own that audience a little bit more than on someone else's yeah. platform? No, I mean, I haven't really been proactive in that way. I mean, the way that even Twitter kind of appeared out of nowhere, kind of out of thin air, was not something that I necessarily even chose to really take on. So no, I mean, I really haven't built a platform elsewhere. I have, you know, an Instagram. And I like, you know, I'm not that worried about it because I've built DesignJoy, like I said, without a following at all and did that for many, many years. So I have confidence in myself enough to utilize what's out there and available to me without a following to be able to leverage and build businesses. Now, if you have a following and obviously it's like kind of like a superpower or a cheat code to do that much faster but you know everything's always taking care of itself and i pretty much trust the process and trust that if i put enough hustle into something i'll probably see good results so So you've built these audiences before leveraged Mm -hmm. them to to help some of your startup ventures and then you launched design joy without using any of those audiences. So tell me, Brett, what was the story, the impetus for launching DesignJoy? And did it go off like a rocket ship and immediately to these high numbers, or did it take some time? I mean, relative to what I was, where I was at in the, in the kind of revenue and money or income that I had, it took off like a rocket ship. But relative to where it is today, <laughs> no, it was a very slow burn for three years. So no, I mean, I it was a it was a really like knee jerk reaction to even build something like Design Joy. It was something that I saw on the internet, somebody doing something kind of similar in a different in a different kind of space, and I thought, hey, that would be easy to spin up. So I spun it up on a Friday and or a Saturday and launched it on a Sunday on Product Hunt and then got some immediate, you know, customers and things like that and then have done different things along the way to sort of keep it going. But no, for the first like three years, I was making under 10K a month, but I had a full-time job, so it was just extra cash for me. And it was a lot, it was a lot of money. I was more making, making more money there than the other jobs. So it was, had a dual income for a while, which was really nice. How long did you hang on to that job until you switched? Was it like a, and what made that? Was it like a number, revenue number? Or? JR, do you know this number? Have you heard Brad talk, talk about this before? <laughs> I haven't. No, I haven't. Or, or are you probing it out of him? Because this is outrageous. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I can't believe it. I mean, I can't believe it now looking back. <laughs> I can understand why I did it. So I can't remember specifically how long I had the job. I think it was at least three to three and a half years of running Design Joy before I actually quit my day job, but the revenue number was at 80k per month. So, and I was making oh I was making 75 <laughs> at my previous job. So, <laughs> for a year, a year. Um, it's it is funny, and yeah, I definitely wouldn't recommend staying that long. But it, I had it pretty darn easy. No, it's smart. That's smart. I did all of my work during Zoom calls, so I had like maybe three or four Zoom calls a week, and did all of my design work during those while same simultaneously participating in the meetings. And then otherwise, I was able to work on Design Joy. So it was it was provided security and the headspace that I needed to build something at a pace that suited my lifestyle, and not have to you know act out of pure desperation because I need money to eat. You know, so yeah, this is amazing. So takes three years to get, and you're about just under 10k. So by 2020. We all know 2020 is kind of the COVID year. And then when does it go from 10 to 80? Was that a quick ride? It was It was COVID. Yeah, it was March of 2020. If you look back at my charts, it's like steady for a long time and then boom, takes it to the moon. It's funny, like a lot of people say, why didn't you quit earlier? 
the way that I looked at my success was like, it happened so fast. Didn't feel real. It didn't feel real. And I compared it to like, sounds super cliche, but I compared it to like a, a shooting star, right? Like it happened so quick and then it disappears so quick. And I was afraid that like right. that could happen to design joy because I didn't feel like I put a lot of effort into even making it happen in the first place that, and I didn't <laughs> quite know how I was going to sustain it if it didn't just take care of itself. And so I thought, all right, well, I need to prove this out until I have that. Yeah, the math makes sense, but I need to feel comfortable quitting at the gotcha. same time. So how are you making it work then, Brett? How is your time split? Surely you can't run a business that big while also doing a job, or are you just super efficient with this stuff? I mean, I did it, but uh, there's obvious consequences to that. So, I mean, the, the, the most obvious being just like working constantly. So I yeah. worked from sun up till late at night. You know, my wife would have to come and sit by me and we did dinner together while I worked and she'd put the kids to bed and I was pretty, pretty much MIA for a while. So yeah, it was tough. It was like the best and worst part of my, my life so far. And then there's another inflection point. You've, you've left, you've, you've grown this business and then Mr. Dan Rowden, who yeah, the man is on the Lemon Squeezy team. I think he did a post on Indie Hackers and he discovered Design Joy, did a tweet about it, and your MRR just skyrocketed again. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the wilder parts of this journey. I'll never forget, <laughs> like, I got a message on Intercom on my website that, hey, you know, Dan Rowden tweeted this about you and that's how I discovered you. And I thought, who who's Dan? You know, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I had had a Twitter, like, it was there, but, like... It, I had never tweeted before, and so I, I was able to actually log in and see it and everything. But yeah, I mean, like to say that like that blew things up was it would be like a gross understatement. I mean, everything that happens today is basically largely in part due to that, just because I don't do anything other than Twitter right now. So it's the the level of magnitude of impact that that's had on Design Joy and the growth that I've experienced, and also the headaches. You know, is largely can all be traced back to that one tweet so that takes you to what yeah that took me to the one the 160 um within two or or three months yeah oh my gosh oh my Mm. word yeah like i said it was the best and worst worst time of my life this is when i get introduced to brett in my timeline and i and at the time like you said your twitter account really wasn't all that crazy Mm. now it's 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 great but at the time like you said you know, and I always see you saying that you're like, everyone always thinks that I had this big following and I started this. It's not the case. Brett had like a hundred followers when Dan tweeted. 200. Don't, don't cut me short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I have to empathize with, with you here, Brett, for a second. So I wake up today and something that we've been dealing with is very similar, right? So, so Gumroad announced their pricing increase and we kind of had this mm-hmm. big inflection. So kind of the same thing. And I feel like every day I'm drinking out of a fire hydrant and it's been about two and a half months of that. And so I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that. So I was actually in like a Twitter kind of, I want, I don't know if you want to call it like a fight or something with like a, someone that I was trying to help and they were coming at me and I'm like, I'm trying to help you. But I know that you went through some crazy Twitter backlash. Mm-hmm. This kind of felt like it was out of your control. You're blowing up. You're trying to figure out how to drink out of this fire hydrant. You get some Twitter backlash. How did you handle that? Are you talking about the particular like tweet thread that? Yeah, the thread that went viral. Yes. That was yeah, 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 yeah. That was tough because 
up until that point, I kind of lived in this utopia that like everyone was happy and I was doing nothing wrong and I was busting my butt every day for people. And, and then out of, no, out of nowhere, someone that I thought were, was seemingly happy too, I'd worked with them for a few months and did many, many projects and never heard any, any sort of negative feedback at all. Came out of, out of nowhere with something that I thought was actually legitimate because one of the risks that you run being a one-man show is that you could be absent one day and my business is totally dependent on my presence, right? So yeah, and in that particular case, like th- something happened where I j- kind of dropped the ball for a couple of days on a project. And, and then he kind of called me out on that vulnerability. And I think a lot of people latched onto it because they had been kind of seeking that out for a while and thought that this was too good to be true. And how could he possibly be doing this? Oh, wait, he ain't. So yeah, I think that was tough. And I, I, I mean, I, I, of course, a part of me wanted to you know, kind of expose the other side of it, which wasn't to totally exonerate myself, but I withheld from that. I for sure probably drafted a couple of tweets wanting to do that. <laughs> and and then I actually reached out to someone that had a podcast. I was like, hey, let me come on and actually talk about this. Because I thought it was the best way to like, I can tweet all day long and, and you know, I understand that I come across a certain way on Twitter and that's my demeanor. But like, I feel like when you when I can talk to people, it's, it, it's maybe comes across a little differently. So I thought that was a good opportunity to come on and they had already been interested in the debacle as well. So I thought it was a good opportunity to kind of voice what, what happened and kind of own up to the mistakes that I, that I made. So, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I handled it perfectly. I didn't come across like, you know, everything was my fault or his fault, but kind of was just open and honest about it and learned from it and moved on. Yeah. I can empathize because exactly what you're kind of talking about is what happened. It was like a day or two where I dropped the ball and I was trying to, so I get it. And it wasn't even like intentional, right? Like just the growth that you had and everything and trying to. No, I mean, I got COVID. I got COVID was what it was. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, but again, I mean, that's the risk that I knew that I had that risk and, you know, and like you, like when you, when you feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose, it's hard to, it's hard to navigate those waters when you've never really been there before. And I, you know, I don't know what your experience is, but for me, at least personally, I'd never been there before. So I was trying to do the best that I could and obviously fell short. So, yeah, it seems like if anything, and I feel like this when any times I've had growth issues, as long as you learn from them, it's helpful. It seems like you've made changes to your business to kind of protect yourself from this happening again. Price increases, certain mm-hmm. amount of clients you take on, you know, like almost hitting a certain amount of revenue that you feel comfortable with, like, seems like you've made the proper changes for this, right? Yeah, as much as I as much as I can. I mean, the model is still what it is. But I mean, I've definitely downscaled quite dramatically by many multiples. So yeah, I mean, it's much more manageable now. So if that does happen, then the impact is far less. So I I thought you both handled both your situations pretty amicably. I mean, there, there is something to say about greed and as the number keeps going up you just want more you just want to take more on absolutely it's very hard to say no when it keeps going up and when you're in the position that people were so bought into the story they would give you money for anything brett like (laughs) the cause and now the course so it's it's hard not to and other people that aren't in that position they just want to see you drop the ball and then take you down. And that's what I found hard about seeing that. Like when you see a friend getting dragged through. It's hard because, I mean, it's design joy, but behind design joy is Brett and Brett's a human, right? And that's mm-hmm. like Lemon Squeezy and behind Lemon Squeezy is JR. And, you know, and it's taken us, you know, years and years to get to this point. And so you want to you want to defend that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so 
Brett, this is really just you. There's no one else behind this, and you don't want to add any more. I know I've seen you talk about this a little bit, where you're like, you've tested it out, tried some designers, but you're just like, I can't control quality assurance. Is that what it is, or is it is it the control thing? Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's it, my thought on this evolves as as time goes on. But yeah, it's a little bit of that. So it's a little bit of a control thing. It's a little bit of a logistical nightmare in terms of just numbers and profitability and things like that when the design work is so variable. I mean, there's there's definitely challenges that can be solved, but then there's just preferences that aren't really a solvable issue. It's the fact that I don't like to manage people. My business already brings in enough money where I don't really need any more money, so it's not going to be for a gross perspective. And, you know, I don't know. It's just it's just not, not the life I'm going to lead right now. So, yeah, I, I like to be able to wake up in the morning and just worry about me and my family, and that's it, right? So, and... That's I love what it. Brings me joy and dri- yeah. keeps me driving. So, yeah. this is interesting because you said a point there that literally cannot be fixed while you're still running it, which is you don't want to manage people. It is interesting. Like I feel like with Jr. and I've, it's just something that I've actually pondered about with you, and something that I've noticed. I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but I feel like what you've done is a pretty difficult thing to pull off. Where you're basically, I mean, it sounds like at least you have a pattern of recently of kind of hiring people like James and Dan who have projects who are basically self-sustainable on their own have, have built products and things like that in the past. And would you consider to be entrepreneurs? And I would, I would venture to guess that formatting your business that way and hiring those types of people, it's, it's different than hiring someone who's not that, right? I mean, I would assume mm-hmm. that, that they can take the work on themselves and manage themselves pretty well. I don't think that's the norm, though, at least in my experience of working with other people. It's true. It's true. And I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I have a knack for hiring these people, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Brett. I think it's managing people is tough. And I guess if I I think about, I didn't think about that if I was you, because when you're making the amount of money you're making, like, why do I really need to do any more than what I need? You know? And I actually love what you're doing, which we'll get into is you're, you're starting to parlay some of your audience into other things besides design joy, like the product design course that you're doing the productized Mm -hmm. course i think that's super smart because there's only so much of you to go around so how can i kind of scale this up if i'm not willing to go and bring on more people in that headache how can i Mm -hmm. scale me in a different way and i think that that's brilliant that was something that i had done all of these sort of one-on-one calls for a long time i've done a couple of different batches of them and spent you know an hour at a time talking with someone one-on-one in the course you know i'm sure we'll get into it but the course was just a way for me to sort of take that globally and do it at scale. So it was a pretty easy decision to do that. Yeah. So let's talk about this course because how you've done it has been very impressive. It's all about teaching people how to build a one-man productized service like you have done for yourself. You launched it on the pre-sale on the 30th of Jan. And then by the 12th, you'd sold 1,200 of them at around 99 bucks. That's insane, Brett. Even with your size of audience, that's impressive. So tell us about your thought process of deciding to do the course and like where it's at now. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been a, I mean, it's been a whirlwind. To say that I didn't expect this would be an understatement. Like I knew, okay, I have a decent size audience on Twitter. Not a, There's people that have way bigger followings than I do. So I knew it'd do moderately well. But the process of getting a course out to me just seemed like such a big undertaking. Because I'm, I'm, you know, moderately busy with work nowadays. Like, I have kids and I work from home. So it's, it's really hard to carve out time to do other things other than what your obligations are that day. And building a course out 
just seemed like, again, such a heavy lift. And I'd never done it before. Didn't know how to do it. Didn't know what tools to use. Didn't know the format. Didn't know production or anything like that. And so I had been putting it off for a long time. I'd say like at least a couple of years. I mean, there was a couple of year, a couple of years ago, I had the thought to do a course because I was doing fairly well at that point. And I knew that I was doing something that not many people had ever done before. So I thought, you know, why don't I blueprint this and share it? And so I thought the only way to do that, the only way to get there would just be to do a pre-sale and force myself into having to execute this. So mm-hmm. I, Dan got hired on Lemon Squeezy. So that name popped up on my Twitter feed. I thought, okay, this is the platform that I'm choose. So I quickly signed up, immediately just wrote a, a course description, came up with course artwork and just a matter of probably under an hour and just launched it, sent out a tweet, and then and then the rest is kind of history. I, so it did really, really well. I, I It's funny because on that side, I I didn't even mean to make that connection here, but when you launched on Lemon Squeezy, none of us obviously knew, right? Like, I didn't know you signed up and you were selling it. And then I, I saw, like, this one store, like, account, just, like, bump in, like, a day. I was like, what? Who is this? <laughs> and I went and looked at it. And, and you know what? Here's the thing that I think that you did really, really smart that people could take away is you have a knack for taking something that people kind of, they kind of like make it too complex or they like get super romantic about it and make it in your like design joy. It's like, yeah, this is what I do. It's unlimited. It's this much a month. If you want it, take it. If you don't, then leave. <laughs> and the productized service, same thing. It's like, I'm going to teach you how to do what I did. And not only that, but I'm going to teach you, I'm going to help you make $25,000 a month. It's very specific. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, with the 25K, it's interesting because I've done probably close to 100 just one-on-one coaching calls with people. And, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people want to kind of follow in my footsteps precisely and make a million dollars a year or $2 million a year and think that that's the end goal. And that's what I teach people. And in fact, it's not at all what I teach people. I, I'm not going to give you a path to getting to a million dollars a year. What I tell people is to like simplify it down, reduce your expectations because you can do a little bit and make a lot. My philosophy is take on five clients, charge them 5K a month and make 25 grand a month. It's simple. It's not easy. I don't don't want to conflate simple and easy, but like it is mathematically why mathematical it is simple. And then, yeah, with the course like that, that's basically, you know, there has to be obviously some hook, but that's, and that's not, it's not a false hook. It's, it's actually something with substance and that's what I teach you in the course. But yeah, I, I didn't want to overcomplicate it. Like even from a production standpoint, I'm literally like hitting record on QuickTime and just recording me talking. Like it's not <laughs> something that I don't even edit it. It's not edited at all. I just basically draft an outline of a script and just talk through it hit and hit stop and then upload it. Because again, like I feel like courses nowadays spend so much time in production. They're so long and very little time on like making sure the content's right and valuable. So I thought I'm just going to like make it like you and I are sitting across a coffee table from each other and discussing these things and showing, you know, telling people what they want to hear. So for those that are listening to when you launched, you literally just had a link to your lemon squeezy item page. You didn't even have the website up. The website wasn't even done yet. I hadn't even started an outline for the course yet. So I didn't even know what I was going to talk about in the course. So, but you, did, but, you kind of, but you kind of did because you can't also understate the hundreds of calls that you've had one-on-one where you've mm-hmm. already done everything that you're about to teach. You've already taught over a hundred people, right? So you and your head, you kind of had it in there. It just wasn't maybe... Yeah, it, it wasn't jotted down any... Yeah, no, it wasn't outlined because it was funny because as soon as I released the course, every, you know, of course, people want to see an outline and like, I'm, I'm like, it doesn't exist. But yeah, I mean, I've done this enough. I've done it long enough to know kind of what people struggle with and what they're curious yeah. about. This just shows the power of brilliant copy, positioning, 
and solving someone's pain or their for their desires, which is to get to 25k a month. Who doesn't want 25k a month? Here, I've done it. Here's here's my blueprint for doing it. And I love how you just go with an MVP and like the lightest MVP, the sales page, the Peter Levels approach, and then you set yourself a date for it to go live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just picked yeah. one out of thin air. I thought, okay, all right, give me my, <laughs> give me my like, three weeks at that, at that point that I announced it to get it done because I knew if I didn't do that, it would drag on. But also at the same time, I knew if I went for higher production, it would also never get done. Like if I had to yeah. involve editing in it, you know, it probably never happened. So that's why I just made it this like kind of raw format, which I don't know how it's going to go over, to be honest with you, but I know at least the information that I'm providing in there. Because I, I was talking to Justin Welsh the other day. I don't know if you yeah. guys are probably familiar. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's obviously like the goat at courses. And he was like, it's so funny because everyone launches courses, everyone writes books, but there's very few courses and books that actually at the end of the day bring you to act on what it is you're teaching you. Like that you can, they can feed you all kinds of information, but nothing very actionable. And so that's kind of what my focus has been. I'm like, I focus just 100% on the content. I don't give a crap about what it looks like. I don't really care what the website looks like. I don't, you know, just the information that I'm going to feed you is going to be exactly what I, you know, it's just extracting it out of my head and spilling it out. And it may not be perfect. It may be choppy here and there. And, you know, I might stutter on my words, but like, who really cares at the end of the day, right? And it's going to get done, which is important. <laughs> Everyone's so romantic about their stuff. And you just, we got to stop that. Just mm-hmm. ship it, you know? I mean, I have so many people complaining every day about the features we don't have for Lemon Squeezy, and it makes me happy because it means that I've launched it before it's been perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it looks good. I mean, Lemon Squeezy looks good. Like, if I, I do, I, I'm not like, I'm not totally on the ship, yeah. the ship mentality, like 100%, but like, yes. it's got to look good. But like, yeah, I mean, I, again, I could have sat on it for another year ease very easily, and I thought, yeah. To You're heck right. With it, I'm just gonna throw it out. It's there. a balance. Yeah, it wasn't like I was just emerging into the market and say, "I have this course." It wouldn't worked out. But yeah. no, the course yeah. took off. Like, yeah, like I had, I had in my head. I told my wife, "I'm like, all right, if 250 people buy this course, like, I'll be set. Like, it'll be well worth it." Because when I put out a tweet earlier, say, "If it came out the course, would you buy it?" And yeah, I think there was like 400 people that said yes. So I thought, okay, if if half of them or close to half of them buy it, it'll be worth it. And then, yeah, obviously, it exceeded that. But. So now now you've got the course, you're launching it March 15th. What happens then? Do you sort of just sort of promote it throughout the year, keep Design Joy going? And what, what level is Design Joy at now? Have you sort of settled? Is it sort of growing up and down? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, to be sh- short answer is it's to be determined. Like with the course, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of already starting to kind of not move on from it because it's not done yet, but I, I don't know how, I don't know how long I'm going to be necessarily pushing. I don't really want to be that guy. That's like yeah. only known to, for a course and he just shoves it down everyone's throat. Right. I've already been, I feel like I've already done that to a certain extent. I want to tiptoe around that as much as I can, but yeah, I mean, I'll probably do it to some extent. Like I even wrestled with doing something like community based with the course and connecting people through a platform like circle or something where they can kind of collaborate in real time and do live, you know, office hours and things like that. Or I could just do nothing and just deliver the course into some format and let people consume it and be done with it. I don't know. I'm still wrestling with that. And I've been careful not to make any promises there. With Design Joy, I mean, Design Joy is it right now. Like that's going to be what I continue to do. It's much smaller now than it used to be back, you know, even a year ago. I think the thing with Dan you know, took me to a place where I didn't really want to get even close to again. So I made the hard and tough decision to downscale a while back and been doing really, really good with that. And I work less than eight hours a day, far less than eight hours most of the time. So 
I have it pretty good right now and it's allowed me to do things like the course. So right now I'm just going to cruise like not as aggressively as I used to. I feel like I've done, done, proven myself there, done what I needed to do. Don't really have a desire to do it again, at least right now with design. Choice, yeah. So. Very smart. Good to hear. JR, do you want to ask some of your last couple of questions? I kind of like these. I mean, I guess just everyone always, you see on like, in like basketball is like NBA or like football players and they make their first million and there's videos like well, what did you buy with your million bucks but like any dumb purchases that you've made dumb purchases i mean i mm. i'm like a i'm like a death by a thousand cuts kind of guy so i buy stuff i buy stuff constantly my wife would sit my wife is like the most frugal person ever so everything i buy is of course expensive but not on the scales <laughs> of like i don't buy cars or boats or anything like that obviously i don't have that kind of income but um we built a house back in my hometown which has been awesome like that's the one thing i spent a lot of money on kind of like a vacation house because i don't get to take vacations very often you know i think it was a smart purchase because it's an asset right but uh it's a, it's an investment it's an airbnb that we have going on which right, is i don't nice. i don't want to hear about the smart purchases this question was dumb purchases <laughs> dumb purchases. <laughs> what a sensible decision that was oh, man dumb purchases not i mean I don't know. No, nothing. Honestly, nothing really you got that nothing. big. You got no. Nothing. Like, I mean, if I were if I were single, yeah, I could. Yeah, I'd probably have all kinds of dumb purchases. But my wife keeps me pretty leveled. <laughs> I say it like this: Every couple needs you need a woe and a go. A hundred percent. Me and Brett are go. I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's do this. And my <laughs> wife is like, whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> So yeah, if you've got that, that's good. No, I'm like, I'm like, I want to go out and buy a Porsche. Like that's what I want. I'm a, I'm a car. I'm a, really, I'm a car guy, which is a sucky thing. Now to we're have, getting into like, it. An interest in right because there, <laughs> it's not like you can like just go out and buy cars all the time. It's no, a really bad thing to be into. But like that's what I want, and she can't wrap her head around spending that kind of money on a car. GT3 RS, something like that. Any, I'll take any of them. Any of them, right? But yeah, no, like that. that I don't. I don't buy anything crazy. Like nothing that I can think of. Um, what car yeah. do you drive now, Brett? I drive a Tesla. I bought that before Design Joy, though, so it wasn't something that I splurged on after Design Joy. But and nice. it's great. You know, I can't complain. Obviously. <laughs> so, at what nice. point did you get the Porsche? That's a good question. I don't know. Whenever I can get her on board, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what point that would be. I kind of I try to be <laughs> yeah. disciplined and quiet about it, and I know one day she'll be like, "Go get it." But I'm kind of the same way. I, I try to I try to do the same thing. JR, have you made any crazy purchases after the Mojo acquisition? Yeah, I've done I've done some car ones. I mean, yeah, actually in my my garage I had like more than one BMW. I had like two M5 M5 competitions sitting there. Did and, you? Wait, wait, wait! Why'd you have two? Because I'm an idiot. His and hers? <laughs> no, I just I don't know. I don't know. I have. But then I also have like trucks. I have like Raptors. I have like, yeah. So. Oh, so you yeah. like toys too. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to ask anything else, JR? No, no, no. Good? We can, we can wrap it up. We can wrap it up. I think it's, I think it's been good. Brett, thank you so much for coming on the Lemon Squeezy pod and telling a bit more about your story. I'll put links of where to find you in your course and design joy. But yeah, thanks for coming on, cool. man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Make Lemonade with me, James, and JR. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you hit subscribe or the follow button on your podcast player of choice, and we always appreciate reviews. If you want to make your own lemonade stand like many of these creators we've discussed in this episode, you can check out Lemon Squeezy. We'll make sure we put all links in the show notes. See you next week. Okay, all right.